Which mountain is the tallest in the world? Well, that's easy. Mount Everest in the Himalayas. But which mountain in the world has the highest prominence, meaning its height compared to the surrounding terrain? Mount Everest is surrounded by mountains that are close to its height. Some have said that Mount Everest stands on the shoulders of the Himalayas. But other mountains, though not as tall as Everest, tower way above the surrounding terrain, like Mount Kilimanjaro in Tanzania or Mount McKinley in Alaska. Throughout the grand landscape of all the Bible, the Lord Jesus Christ stands with great prominence and height, towering above all other people, and his great finished work far above anything else. Coming up next on Daily in Christ, The Prominence of Christ. Welcome once again to our time of, well, getting to know the Lord better uh, through the Word of God, the Scripture, and the Spirit of God. This is the Daily in Christ podcast. I'm Mark Van Oos, and I'm privileged to be uh, sharing together with you, teaching the Word of God. We have been on an extended series for quite some time called Hebrews, the Glory of the New Covenant. And today, part 49. Today we begin in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 25. If you would, if you have your Bible handy, please go ahead and turn to that. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 25. We have uh, two episodes that'll wrap up the series. Today's number 49, and then next time, number 50. And we're winding down toward the end of the book of Hebrews. And before we get into our time in God's word together, let's go to the Lord of the word in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your heart of holiness and righteousness and goodness and love. Lord, our being owes itself to your being. You are God. You are the great I am. You are the one who is God, who is creator. We are the creature. And so, Lord, in dependence upon you, we look to you, Lord. Thank you for the revelation that you have given to us of your word through the Holy Scripture. Father, I pray that you, by the Holy Spirit, would now grant unto us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the context and the realm of knowing you. Thank you, Lord, for what will happen as our the eyes of our understanding are enlightened by the Holy Spirit and by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, do you have it? Hebrews chapter 12, let's begin in verse 25. I'm reading from the New King James Version of the Bible. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on the earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God 
is a consuming fire. That's in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 25 through 29. Right at the very beginning of this passage, it says, See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. Now, what is the him or who is the him that the scripture is speaking of? Well, this is speaking of God the Father. Remember back in uh, Hebrews chapter 1, where it spoke about God speaking? Let's look back there at Hebrews chapter 1. Boy, in our study, it seems so long ago. Listen to this, beginning in verse 1. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers and by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us, by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. So right there in Hebrews chapter 1, and I won't get into any depth about that. Go back to the early lessons in this Hebrew series to really find out the nuggets that we mind there. But the point is that God the Father today is speaking through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, there is no greater way of speaking. Now, let's go back to uh, Hebrews chapter 12 in verse 25. It says, see that you do not refuse him who speaks, the Father speaking through the Son. And look what it says there in the second part of the verse. This is in reference to, uh, and we talked about this earlier in Hebrews chapter 12, God speaking to Moses and the Israelites with a thundering voice on, from Mount Sinai where he shook the earth. It says, For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. You see, if they did not escape, this idea of escape means a rescue or a salvation. The human race is in a very desperate condition. That's clear in the scripture, especially if you read in Hebrew, or rather Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 20. There's none righteous, no, not one. We all have need of escape from the just penalty and punishment of our sin and our wrong from the wrath of God. There is no other way of escape except the Lord Jesus Christ. There are extremely dire consequences if we refuse God by specifically refusing and rejecting his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the Lord Jesus, as it says there in Hebrews chapter 1, we were just reading, it says that he upholds all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins. That is a cleaning out, a removal of the sins. Sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Buddha 
didn't do that. Muhammad didn't do that. No other religious leader in the world. And Jesus isn't a religious leader. He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He is the precious Lamb of God. He is the Almighty Son of God. How in the world could there be any sort of escape or deliverance or salvation if we reject the Son? If we reject the Son, we are re- and, and that's the way the Father is speaking to us, then we are rejecting the Father. You know, some listening to this might think, well, Mark, you know, I think I'm, I'm, a, I'm a good person. I'm a decent person. I think I'm good enough. Well, let me ask you this. Who wants to be the best sinner that ever went to hell? You say, wait a minute. Went to hell? What are you talking about, Mark? Well, let me ask you, based on the Bible, what is the worst sin that anyone could ever commit? Is it the sin of murder? How about rape? How about burning things down? How about theft of a bank? Whatever. Think of all the the horrible sins that might come to mind. But do you know they're not the worst sin? Do you know that the worst sin possible is that anyone could ever commit is the sin of unbelief, of rejecting God's greatest gift. In the Gospel of John, chapter 3, Jesus is sharing with a religious leader about the necessity of being born again. And in verse 16, we see this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that's the Lord Jesus, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Verse 17, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him, The Lord Jesus is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Verse 19, and this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. Do you see what it says there in those verses? It says, if we reject the one and only Savior of the world, the only one that God the Father sent, the precious gift, his only Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, then we stand condemned already. So the worst possible sin is the sin of unbelief, of rejecting God's great gift, the Lord Jesus Christ. When we say that we are good enough, then what we are actually saying is that Jesus is not good enough. Do you realize when you say that you are insulting God the Father with the worst insult and you expect him to receive you in heaven? We are rejecting him who speaks. We are rejecting the righteousness, pain, and suffering, and sacrificial death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And our rejection of God's only means 
his precious son, the Lord Jesus Christ, is what Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 31 refer to. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 31. What is that sin that is willfully done? That's going on in the sin of unbelief. And I want to reference you back to our teaching much more in depth when I was covering this topic back in Hebrews chapter 10. You see, if a person says, I'm good enough, what you're really saying is that you're better than Jesus Christ. And do you know what that is? That is high treason against Almighty God. High treason, my friend, that's serious stuff. As we are soberly warned here in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 25, see that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke upon the earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. I don't care how long you've been going to church. I don't care if you sing in the choir. I don't care if you give to the poor. If you put your righteousness above the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is damnable. And there is no escape. I know these are strong words, but Jesus Christ, and we've talked about this all through the study in Hebrews, has done it all. He's paid it all. It's a gift to be received. And let me say it again, those beautiful words from John 3.16, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe on him might not perish, but have everlasting life. Mm. Whoever would believe on him. It's a gift. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Dear friend, today is the day of salvation. Call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Forsake your own selfish self-righteousness and goodness and embrace the perfect righteousness and goodness of the Lord Jesus on your behalf. I have to move on. Back to uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 26 and 27, it says this, Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. You know, we're seeing in our day and age, really only the beginnings of such severe shakings that the Bible says are yet to come. How severe will the shaking be? It will shake heaven and 
earth. Peter says that the elements will be burned in fire. And then there will be a new heaven and a new earth. But here is the encouragement. Look what it says there. Uh, At the end of verse 27, it says that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. What are those things that that cannot be shaken. I'll tell you what, if you're in an earthquake zone and you're in the midst of a bad earthquake, how many of you have been in an earthquake? It is an unsettling thing. It seems no matter where you go, you are in danger. Wouldn't it be good if you're in an earthquake to be in some shelter that can't be shaken? Well, that shelter that we have and that makes an earthquake seem like child's play when God is shaking both heaven and earth. And the heavens isn't the abode of God. It refers to the starry host, to the planets, to the stars, to the galaxies. They're all going to be shaken. That the things which cannot be shaken will remain. Look at verse 28. It says this, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, that speaks of the kingdom of God. Since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace. Now the translation there, instead of saying have grace, it's be grateful by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear for our God is a consuming fire. I mentioned this in passing just a few moments ago, but look at, uh, we can, I'll read 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. Beginning in verse 10, it says this, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. That's over in Second Peter chapter 3 verses 11 through 13. I mentioned a moment ago that we're in a day in which uh, we're seeing the beginnings of shakings, uh, wars and rumors of wars, as Jesus predicted in Matthew chapter 24. We are seeing terrorist attacks. We're seeing terrorist attacks even here in America, where I am recording this uh, lesson. We are seeing earthquakes in various places, we shaking, we have seen uh, institutions being shaken here in America and around the world. Uh, in 2008, we saw the beginning uh, and dislodging of financial institutions. Back uh, September 11, 2001 in the United States, we saw a tremendous shaking, the beginning of this war on terrorism as terrorists uh, commandeering Passenger jets slammed them into World Trade Center and also in Washington, D.C. It shook the world. It's changed the world. And it just seems like this shaking will continue. The Bible does talk about it. And yet, the great encouragement is that we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken. We're talking about the kingdom of God, dear friends. 
And it says there in um, Hebrews chapter 12, last part of verse 28, let us have grace, thankfulness, by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for God is a consuming fire. Look what it says there in verse 28. It says, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, we're, we've, we're, we're receiving that. You know, We have the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is something that is very, very powerful. We have him. He's the king of this kingdom. Well, I need to move on. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 13. And I want to read uh, right now verses uh, 1 through, uh, looks like verse 6. Hebrews chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. Let brotherly love continue. Let me say that again, and you'll know why I'm emphasizing the first word in a moment. Let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. Marriage is honorable among all, and the, be- and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. Now, I mentioned this a moment ago as I began the reading. The first word is critical, let. Well, now, what's the big deal behind that word, let? Well, it's as opposed to the old covenant, the law covenants, shoulds and should not. You see, if we say let, it presupposes that you already have it. Now, let it out, right? If I say let the dog out. I'm not saying go get a dog. I'm saying the dog that you have, let him out. Let the dog out. In other words, uh, applied now to the Christian life, allow what you already have in Christ out versus a striving to get something you don't have. A really good example of this is over in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. Matthew 5, verse 16, you don't need to turn to that. The Lord is speaking and he says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That is powerful. It's based on the earlier verse that says, You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Therefore, he says, Let that light shine. He says, don't hide it under a bushel. Don't put it under the bed. Put it up high where everyone can see it. Let your light shine. We let out what we already have, who we already are. And believer, one who is born again in the Lord Jesus Christ, through the grace of God, you are a new creation. You are a new man. Now, Let that new man out. The new man is in the inside. Let him out, expressing through your life and actions and attitudes. There's a similar structure to this over in the epistles. 
where there is a lot of instruction about in different epistles. For instance, uh, let's take it as as an example, Ephesians. First three chapters uh, deal with so much about who Christ is and who he is in you and who you are in him. Then there seems to be just a little bit about the conduct of our lives. And this is the therefore let, and that's key. Therefore, let's. There's a therefore for a reason. It's based upon the basis of Christ and who he is inside of us and who we are in him. Therefore, let. Another example is in Colossians chapter 3. From verse 5 to the end of the chapter, there's a whole bunch of let's where it talks about behavior. But see, those verses, and it's so, I hear people talk about those verses all the time, but they neglect and forget that those verses are based upon Colossians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 2, and Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, which is so Christ-centered. It's all about the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you get over to Colossians chapter uh, 3 and verse 1, he says this, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to you. I'm sorry, I'm uh, at the wrong point. That was Colossians 1. How about Colossians 3? If then, and the if then is not uh, a conditional if then, it's better translated since then. Since then you were raised with Christ. Seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For, here's the reason for that. Here's the basis. You died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, and then he goes on through a bunch of lets, just like we're seeing over here in Hebrews chapter uh, 13. So much of Hebrews is based upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Then there is this uh, part This little bit here in Hebrews chapter 13, I'm not saying it's insignificant, but the prominence, kind of what I was saying at the beginning of this podcast in the tease, you know, compared to the other mountains, this great mountain of the Lord Jesus Christ is the key. And Hebrews is not about changing your behavior. That's what godless people focus on. The book of Hebrews is about the supremacy and the perfection of the Lord Jesus Christ and the absolute perfection and completeness of his finished work for you and with you. We have this tendency in our fallen thinking to gravitate toward, okay, now let's get to the practical stuff, the stuff that I'm supposed to do. We're so addicted to ourselves and our little checklists. And okay, just give me the checklist of things I'll have to do and all will be well. That is not true. The all that is well is through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's living in dependence upon him, living by faith in him. And we've talked so much about this uh, in our study in Hebrews because Hebrews talks so much about it. So please, let's not forget our brains here. Let's not forget the things that we so much that we 
learn together throughout Hebrews. Let's remember the all-sufficiency of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it says, let brotherly love continue. There is, and again, brotherly love. That's just not a, a manner of speaking. And my mind goes back to Hebrews chapter 2, where it's talking about what the Lord Jesus Christ did so that he could bring in many sons. When we say brotherly love, that's family talk. That's the family of God. And so that brotherly love uh, is extended one to another. Family love, the, the kind of love that we see with the father to the son, the father to us. And then it says in verse two, do not forget to entertain strangers for by doing so, some have unwittingly entertained angels. I'd love to kind of dwell on that little thought, but you know, you never know what'll be happening as you just reach out in love. Again, it's reaching out in love. As it says in Romans chapter five, I believe that the love of Christ compels us, constrains us. And then remember the prisoners as if we were chained with them. You know, that's, uh, that's powerful. When we remember someone as if we were in that cir- circumstance, that's called compassion. And compassion is the outflow of love. The love of Christ compels us, not love for Christ, but the love of Christ. His love inside the life of the believer coming out, manifesting out. Remember what we said in this thing. The key word is let. When you let something happen, you have it already. You're letting it out. You're letting this brotherly love being extended to the family of God. You're not forgetting to entertain strangers. You're remembering prisoners as if chained with them. Those who are mistreated since you yourselves are in the body also. And then there's verse four. Boy, this is a message we need in our modern culture today. Marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. That is powerful. As it says in Ephesians chapter five, the marriage relationship is like unto the relationship of Christ and the church. Now it says, but fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Notice that that is speaking to, those aren't verbs, those are nouns. That's referring to people uh, that are those things. But the believer is born again. You're not those things. That really, that whole argument is brought out so much better in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We don't have time to get into it. But it says, uh, I believe in verse 6, and such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord and by the Spirit of our God. God has done something with the believer. You're not the same. The old man is gone. You are a new creation in Christ. And again, here's another let. Walk according to this new life that you have. Let it happen. Let it love. Let there be the expression of brotherly love. Let there be marital love and fidelity. So different from what our godless culture is saying. And then here's a powerful example of a let 
that is backed up by God. Look at this in verse 5. It says, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have for. Now, whenever you see a uh, sentence begin or a clause begin with the word for, it gives the reason for what was just said. So when it says, let your conduct be without covetousness, be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. Now, the Greek text in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 particularly, is so striking, and unfortunately, the English translation here is so poor compared to the richness of the Greek. The amplified version of the Bible gets it right and so well. It says this, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, for here's the reason, he, God himself, has said, I will not in any way fail you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support. I will not, I will not, I will not in any degree leave you helpless, nor forsake, nor let you down, relax my hold on you, assuredly not. (laughs) Isn't that encouraging? And that is very, very faithful that the Amplified uh, rendition of uh, Hebrews 13.5, very, very faithful uh, to what the Greek says. There is a triple negative in the biblical Greek of Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. God says, I will not, I will not, I will never leave you. It's almost like the child that lost track of their mom in a store. And the little boy started crying and carrying on. And people who cared about the boy, you know, got him to a place, to the management of the store. And then they made the announcement. And then the mother finally connected with the little boy. And the little boy is shaking and crying. And he thought his mom had abandoned him. And his mom looks at him and holds him and says, I would never, ever, ever, ever leave you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I love you, my son. That's exactly what God is saying right here in Hebrews 13, 5. God says, I will not, I will not, I will not in any degree leave you helpless nor forsake you nor let you down. Relax my hold on you, assuredly not. That reality of the power of God's committed love is the reason why we don't have to let our conduct have covetousness. A person is covetous, wanting something else because they don't think they have enough. But you're a child of the king. You have the infinite resources of a loving heavenly father at your disposal. He loves you that much. And you can be content with such things as you have because you have riches that go way beyond the physical, tangible things we might see in our life. Don't get me wrong. God does bless us in a physical way. He enriches us for the doing of his will. But there's that powerful example of a let when God says to 
Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For, here's the reason for letting. You have a God, a Father, who loves you this much that he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. In other words, he's saying, I will take care of you. And that's why it says in verse 6, so we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. That's the basis of the let. The Lord is my helper. It isn't because I have my act together or I have, uh, you know, such a smart brain or I have all these big bank accounts. No, the reason is because the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? And I just noticed I'm looking at that. The Lord is my helper. That's a quotation going back to um, Joshua 1.5. And the Lord there is all caps, which means Jehovah, which means I am that I am. The all-sufficiency of God is what makes it all possible. I want to touch on this, and then we're going to wrap up and then get into this into more depth in our concluding uh, lesson in the book of Hebrews next time. But um, look at this in Hebrews 13:7. Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Again, I want to read this in the Amplified because it captures the sense, especially of the word faith, biblically. It says this, remember your leaders and superiors in authority, for it was they who brought to you the word of God. Observe attentively and consider their manner of living, the outcome of their well-spent lives, and imitate their faith. You see, that's the point. Godly people live godly lives as they, by faith, look to God, trust him, go to him. And and we've talked a lot about the subject of faith when we were in um, Hebrews chapter 11. In fact, uh, a mini series came out, the just shall live by faith. And so it says, and what is that faith? I love how the Amplified puts it here. Their conviction that God exists and is the creator and ruler of all things, the provider and bestower of eternal salvation through Christ and their leaning of the entire human personality on God and absolute trust and confidence in his power, wisdom, and goodness. Did you catch the dimensions of that? First of all, real faith is anchored upon God. It looks to God. The sufficiency of the Lord Jesus Christ, it says God is. He is. I am not an atheist. God exists. And he is the I am that I am. The same God who said to Moses in the desert when he was commissioning his servant back to Egypt to confront the strongest king on earth, Pharaoh, and lead two million people out of bondage. And then Moses said, well, who shall I say sent me? God pulls his calling card out, his name, and says, I am that I am. And we'll get into this more in the next episode. But it's the conviction that God exists and is the creator and ruler of all things. That God is the one who is our provider. He is the one who is the bestower of eternal salvation through Christ. And upon that look of faith, not in a doctrine, you know, our faith 
isn't even in necessarily the Bible. Our faith is informed by the Bible, but faith is in the person of the living God in the Lord Jesus Christ, and their leaning of the entire human personality on God in absolute trust and confidence in his power, wisdom, and goodness. And then I circle back to where this thing was in verse 7, where it says, remember those who rule over you, whose faith follow. What faith? This faith we're talking about. I love what it says there in the Amplified, the outcome of their well-spent lives. That speaks of fruitfulness. And that has happened because God himself is at work in and through their lives by faith. I want to just have a couple of closing comments here, and then we'll really dig into this uh, in a a greater uh, level. And again, this is sort of uh, prominence of the Lord Jesus Christ, part one. Part two will be in our concluding lesson in the book of Hebrews. The center of our faith is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to see next time, Verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And then it says, do not be carried about by various and strange doctrines, for it is good that the heart be established by grace. Jesus Christ is the same, unchanging God. We can count on him. Today, I was at church and there was a young man who uh, is a co-worker of one of the elders of our church, and he was invited by the elder of the church to come to church, to the worship service. This man does not know the Lord. And um, this young man had mentioned to the, the guy who is the elder in our church that he's reading his Bible. And, and uh, this elder, his name is Bob, said to this young man, he said, why are you reading the Bible? And he says, we are in such shaky, uncertain times. Wow. Even someone who doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ recognizes that things are being shaken. And and it's not getting any better. It's getting more and more happening in different places. And he's longing for stability in his life. And he's turning to the scripture. Praise God. And praise God that Bob followed up by bringing this young man into a place where he could hear the preaching of the word of God. And it just so happened it was communion Sunday and our pastor was preaching on the blood of Christ, on the reality of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the gospel came through. Praise God. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's something about that that draws those who are struggling in all of this uncertainty and shakiness to the stability of the one the Bible calls the rock of ages, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we rest our hearts, our weary hearts, on that firm foundation of Jesus Christ. The one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Lord, it is so important for us to remind ourselves, to encourage each other of these things, because the world is hurtling in a completely different, godless direction. Father, I pray that you will take the words that were shared, your word, 
and by the Holy Spirit planted deep in our hearts and our lives. Father, I pray that for me. I need it. And Father, I pray for whoever is listening to this today, if they are not saved, if they have been trusting in their own righteousness, in their own goodness, in their own holiness, Father, I pray that they would repent of that self-righteousness and they would in humility look to Jesus as the love gift of the Father. And Lord, that the reality of John 3.16 would come alive and light up in their understanding. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe on him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Father, may they believe, may they receive the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. May they confess with their mouth, in agreement with you, the truth that Jesus is Lord. And Father, for the believer, for the one who is in Christ, encourage their hearts today. Lord, even in these uncertain times, there is certainty with you. Father, I think about those who are struggling and have uh, tremendous needs today. Lord, I thank you so much for the wonderful word that we have gotten uh, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, where you, Lord, say with a heart of love, as a loving heavenly Father, I will not in any way fail you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support. I will not, I will not in any degree leave you helpless, nor forsake, nor let you down, Relax my hold upon you, assuredly not. Lord, may their heart be encouraged by the goodness of you as the providing and wonderful God that you are. And Lord, may they say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. We thank you for all of these things. In Jesus' name, amen.